Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Turns out that Charlie Casserly, the Kyler Murray reputation fight, is not over. In fact, that brawl is only beginning. If you thought that it was over, after Casserly unloaded on Murray, saying among other things, leadership, not good. Study habits, not good. The board work, below not good. If you thought that was the end of that, you were wrong. Because Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, is sprinting out of the locker room and running towards the ring, and he's got a two-by-four in his hands. He told PFT that he heard what Casserly said. Quote, My initial reaction was to laugh because I knew the old guard would inevitably try to come up with the usual pre-draft nonsense. But when I later watched this man say what he did, it was over the top and definitely felt personal, and that's when I got pissed off. End quote. It's personal, and you're pissed off. Now that's a good start. I like it. What else you got, E? He went on, quote, First and foremost, Kyler is an exemplary person. He is everything you hope your own son grows up to become. We're talking about a young man who has done everything right and worked relentlessly his entire life to achieve and push for greatness. We're talking about the first human ever drafted in the top 10 in two major sports leagues and who just completed the greatest single season in football history. You will not find even one former teammate or coach at any level in any sport who's played with Kyler Murray, who has had anything remotely negative to say about him, his leadership, or his work ethic, end quote. All right, so of course, the agent has his clients back. He better, that's his job. But how about a thought or two about the dude who just wrecked your client? What do you think about old man Casserly, Eric? He said, quote, so what do I think about an agenda-driven analyst who's never once even talked to Kyler or any of his coaches or teammates. I think it's disgusting and embarrassing, and Casserly should be ashamed of himself. End quote. Hello! Disgusting and embarrassing. And Casserly should be ashamed of himself. Now we're getting somewhere. Damn, E, you are pissed. This is good, and it only gets better. But first... Burkhart wants to clear something up. He says he spoke with people who sat in on those meetings with Murray, and he cannot figure out where the hell Casserly is getting his intel from. Quote, Further, my business partners and I personally represent coaches and executives who sat in on eight of Kyler's 10 formal combine interviews. I spoke directly to each of them, as well as executives from the other two teams and many others who I don't represent but were present, and all of them were extremely positive about his entire interviews, with each citing specific examples as to why. End quote. Hey, listen, if I didn't know any better... I'd say that Burkhart just called Casserly a liar. You're a liar. Not a felon, but a liar. You're a liar. But not a felon, just a liar. Or he came about as close as you can while actually calling the guy a liar. And still, and still he was not done. There's more. Quote, look, if you don't like Kyler's game, it's cool. If you don't like his size and want to talk about that, that's fine. If you're into a Heath Schuler-type-looking guy, then hype those guys and say why, end quote. <laughs> a Heath Schuler blast. My man just went there. He just went to one of Casserly's picks, Schuler, who was the third pick in the draft and is widely regarded as one of the all-time NFL busts. In other words, you liked Heath Schuler, so shut the hell up about Kyler Murray. And I thought that Casserly put Murray in a body bag. But that's nothing compared to what Burkhardt just did to Casserly. And even then, he still wasn't done. Quote, But when you slander the character and work ethic of a young man who's worked his ass off his entire life and done everything right to put himself in his current position, you better cite your sources and come with a better record than 18-46 and 46 as a GM of the Texans and whose own leadership and accountability has been questioned by his old bosses and colleagues as well as the greatest coach on the planet. End quote. 
Shut it down. Let's go home. Going with a Heath Schuler blast is one thing. Bringing out the 18-46 and 46 record as GM of the Texans is another. But that finishing move was incredible because the last line is a reference to Bill Belichick saying back in 2010, quote, who's been more wrong than Charlie Casserly since he left the Redskins? His percentage is like a meteorologist, end quote. So Burkhardt just stuffed Casserly into a sack and threw him off a bridge. That was incredible. And that's exactly what you want from somebody in your corner when your reputation gets attacked. Listen, it's possible that Murray did not interview well, but kind of hard to see how he did what he did in college if he has, quote, no leadership ability, no work ethic, nor an ability to prepare. I mean, that would be even more remarkable than anything the guy actually did. Like you're telling me that Baker Mayfield leaves Oklahoma. And some guy with no leadership ability, no work ethic, and no ability to lead takes over for Mayfield and then leads the team to a Big 12 title, a spot in the college football playoff, and he wins the Heisman. But he's got no intangibles. Doing all of that is amazing, but doing all of that without leadership ability, without work ethic, and without the ability to prepare might be the most amazing thing ever. Man, my man must be Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Jim Thorpe, and LeBron James, all wrapped into one, if he can do that. Could you really be a top 10 pick in two sports and win the Heisman without an ability to prepare or work or lead? And one more thing. If you ignore Casserly and the anonymous coach or two for a moment, and you check the other reports, there are a bunch of other teams, including the Raiders, who apparently are itching to get their hands on a quarterback with absolutely no leadership, no study habits, or board work, and all of that which is either not good or below good. Below not good. And let me ask you this. If you do what Kyler Murray does, and you do so allegedly without any of those attributes, then really how important are those attributes? If you can get as far as this guy has with a total lack of intangibles, then why do we spend even one second talking about intangibles? If this guy can just get out of bed chucking bombs on the football field and raking on a diamond without even working at it, imagine how good this guy would be if he actually did work at it. But I'm guessing that's not the case. Again, leadership, not good. Study habits, not good. The board work, below not good. You know what? That take is starting to feel below not good. Below not good. But I'm sure that Burkhardt firing back is not the last we're going to hear of it. In fact, Chuck, your move. Your move, Casserly. Let's go. What you got, Pops? What you got, Pops? Jason Lockenfora joining us once again. Jason, good to have you back. How are you? What's going on, buddy? And, and Copper's dog daddy, I guess you could you could, you could throw that in there. Copper's Otherwise, dog daddy. Covered. Yeah. I like it. How is the big dog? He's all right. He's laying on my lap right now. So hopefully, hopefully he'll stay quiet. It's good life. All right. So yeah. let me first start with this. What was your reaction about Kyler Murray, Jason, quote, being not good and below not good in his interviews in Indianapolis? <laughs> He's going to be the first overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, as long as he stays out of trouble, which this is not a kid who's ever been in trouble, and you know, as long as he doesn't, you know, nobody drops a piano on his head or an anvil or something, like he, he's the first overall pick. So, I mean, we can waste a lot of breath and a lot of time and um, you know, a lot of hot air going down that road. Uh, I just don't know where. <laughs> I just don't know where it's going to get you because. He's the first bleeping pick of the draft. So, like, uh, that's not going to change. Don't take a chance of being stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or your truck. Jason Lockett for joining us. I want to get into when he is the first pick overall, what that means exactly, who does he go to. But before I do that, Jason, what do you make of Eric Burkhart's response to that report and how hard and heavy he came after Charlie Casserly? Well, he's, that's his job. I right. mean, he, he, you know, there, there were, uh, and look, what agent wouldn't want to represent Kyler Murray once he makes it clear that he's going to play football and he's, you know at that point he's going to be a first-round pick and quarterbacks, 
for the highest paid players in the game. And he has an incredible athletic uh, background. And so you, you're, you're, you're representing him and you're, you, you know, you're, you're going to invest everything into protecting him and standing up for your client when you think he's been slighted. And this was a national stage. And these were some very strong statements. I mean, when you start couching things like the worst I've ever seen and the worst I've ever heard and no you know, top quarterback pick has ever come across this badly, that's fairly unequivocal. It's not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, and then, you know, it, 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 there's some, some potential conflicts of interest here. If the guy making the report coaches up some draft picks, you know, and potentially some draft picks at – this player's position on how to interview and everything else, then, you know, that's another element to it. And the bottom line is there's not that many teams that are really doing, you know, going deep on Kyler Murray anyway, because there's look, Nick Foles in the job. You know what I mean? Like there's not, there's not a whole lot of work to be found right now at the quarterback position. So it's, it's not as if uh, there's a deep pool of teams that, you know, are really going to spend a lot of time with Kyler Murray. So, you know, I, I thought the report itself, um, went pretty far out there, so I'm I'm not surprised that that Eric Burkhart responded in kind at all. Neither am I. We were talking to Jason Lockenfora. It's also draft season, right? So there's oh, so yeah. much misinformation, so much smoke, so many agendas at this time of year. So Jason, as a journalist, how do you go about processing all these reports and trying to get to the bottom of what is real and what is not? Well, I think you know you you have to really understand the nature of your relationship with different people and we we don't have exactly the same degrees of of trust or degrees of experience with you know every agent as every other agent with every gm as every other gm um, with every scout as every other scout and i think you have to be really cognizant of um okay somebody tells you something you step back and you frame it as okay what would he have to gain from this what would he have to lose from this um what are his past experience with with this player or this school or this position group that I can draw from before. You know what I mean? How, how right on has this guy's information been in the past? You know, is this person seeking me out at random? You know what I mean? Right. Or did I have to track him down? Does, does this look like something that's being ferreted all over the place? And then you've got to run it by multiple people. You've, you've got to be your own fact checker before you're willing to stand behind it and, and say that these are educated opinions and, and, you know, educated assessments and not just one guy's rant or five guys' crusade, you know what I mean, or, or two guys' jihad against a particular player, a particular coach, a particular agent, whatever. Jason Lockin for my guest. All right, so when you say that Kyler Murray is going to go first, does he go first to Arizona or does he go first to somebody else via a trade? I believe very strongly at this point he goes first to Arizona and, and everything else is – um, it's just kind of pablum, you know, and, and, and if I'm Arizona, I'm just going ahead and making this Josh Rosen trade because you've already devalued him. You've taken somebody who was a 10th overall pick a year ago and through a little bit of his act, actions, I guess, on the field, although I would say what was like, you talk about an untenable, you know, uh, uh, physician, you talk about a situation with no chance to win. That's what he got put in. But then you look at what was going on with the GM and what's going on with the coach and what's going on with the offensive coordinator and what was going on with Sam Bradford. You know, how, how, boy, he earned his $15 million in about uh, four quarters in a game, two and a half games, ten quarters of work, right? And then you throw this kid to the Wolves and you're sacked 52 times. I mean, they collectively, the Arizona Cardinals organization, from Michael Bidwell on down, have taken this kid to the point where he's a promising 10th overall pick to somebody who, on a market, as I just noted, supply doesn't meet demand. There's not a lot of, not a lot of interest in quarterbacks right now. Everybody just made their bed for the most part a year ago when we had uh, unparalleled quarterback movement. Then you're left with this situation where you probably ship them to Washington for a three or whatever you can get, and you're calling it a day. But that, that's not on Rosen. Um, by and large, I mean, if you want to make a pie chart and you look at how did we get here from you know the night of 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 the draft of round one last year to right now, how much of this is on Rosen and everybody else? I mean, I, I'll put maybe ten, fifteen percent on the kid if I had to, but the rest of it is on them. All right. So in terms of him being devalued, is that how it looks to you? Does he look like a third round pick in exchange for a third round pick, well, and does it look like he might go to the Redskins? I don't know who else is doing it. You know, I mean, maybe Miami, we could have that conversation outside of that. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. There's going to be three that go in the first round this year and they're just as cheap as him. Okay. The signing bonus has been paid, but like 
you're going to control whoever you pick for five years, and they're not going to make any money, really, in terms of quarterback money, until year six. There's two who everybody thinks are going one and two next year who, you know, I don't know, do I want them as a blank slate or do I want this kid who's already had his confidence crushed and his life sucked out of him? You know what I mean? He's, he's been in the league not even a calendar year, and he probably feels like a fifth-year veteran. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't see it, Jim. You know, people talk about the Patriots. I don't, they didn't really like him last year. I mean, I guess at a low enough price point, but you're not getting more than a three, I don't think, out of the Patriots. Um, I, I, I don't really see it, you know. You could make the case maybe for Denver once they, they cut um, uh, Keenum. But, I mean, they just traded a four for Flacco. Like, I think they probably want to draft some players, too. And, you know, they could have taken Rosen last year and they didn't want him. So, I, I just don't see it. Timing is everything. And right now, again, the, the quarterback year was last year. Now, there's, there's just not much out there. CBS Sports NFL Insider Jason Locking Forward breaking it all down and joining us once again. Chelsea, what about the report that we're getting close to a, a resolution regarding Mr. Big Chest? Is <laughs> is that the way you see it? And if he's on the move, is he headed to John Gruden in the Raiders? I don't know of any deadline to this trade. I haven't been told one. Um, would the Steelers like to get it done? Sure. They've been dealing with this uh pretty much on a daily basis since he went AWOL, you know, three days before their season ended, or two days, whatever it was, that Friday. Uh, but there, there's no reason they have to make the trade tomorrow. Would they like to make the trade before his roster bonuses do? Sure. But I, a lot of people I trust there say, look, if we think it's gonna, we're going to get a better trade by waiting, then we're not trading him for a fifth just to avoid having to give him another couple million dollars. They're already going to take a massive cap hit, you know, once they trade him anyway. So, I think it's a matter of making the best football deal they can make, knowing that they, you know, aren't in a great situation either because of the way his season ended and everything he's done on social media and all the interviews and everything since then. It hasn't made their job any easier. Gruden has the most picks. I think Gruden, if he had his druthers, would get Odell Beckham, but, you know, Gruden's not the most patient guy in the world. He doesn't mind older players. He's shown a, 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 you know, a predilection towards them throughout his career. You know he wants offensive pieces to play with. Um, Philadelphia is still monitoring this thing. You know, Tampa has at least probed around a little bit, although they've got a fair amount of pass catchers and some other needs. I think um, if the Chiefs could do it, they would. I just don't see the Steelers trading into the Chiefs, but I continue to hear the Chiefs. Are, are, are sniffing around on high-end offensive players, which shocks me because all their issues are on defense. Um, but, but you know, you know Andy Reid. I mean, if they could score 70 on you, you know, why not? Um, you know, and, and we'll see if, if somebody else pops their head up. But they're, they're just – a lot of these reports about teams linked to him, it's just not grounded in reality. The, the, this market just hasn't really taken off. They thought it was about to take off, or it was at least growing, and then the ESPN article came out, and a couple people doubled back and just said, nah, I'm going to send it out. You know, I wonder, so what about that? Like you mentioned Odell Beckham, Jason Lockett, for him, I guess. Based on the conversations you've had with teams and the reporting you've done, when you look at the receivers, Jason, in this year's draft class, are teams better off taking a receiver in the first round or trying to make a deal for Brown or Beckham? I'm making a deal for Brown. If I can get Brown for two, I'm doing that all day long. I mean, you can pencil him in right now for, you know, 100 catches, 1,400 yards, and 12 touchdowns. And it may be more. Um, and I don't think it'll be much less. History will show you it's not really less. Maybe they dip a little bit because it's not Ben, and maybe this offense isn't quite as good. But this guy's a historically significant player, and I think a lot of GMs are scared of their own shadows right now, and they're, they're talking to ghosts, and they're, they're talking themselves out of something that they should probably be more into. I mean, it wasn't just Brown there. It was a collection of individuals and personalities that led to this point. And it's not like you were as welcome, you know, in seven games. It's like seven years. And, and again, others were a party to this as well. But, I mean, look, Beckham's, you got Beckham signed longer. Beckham has more upside. Beckham's historically significant. Beckham has some drama with him, but, I mean, maybe that's a wash. And Beckham's, what, five years younger, which always carries the day. So, yeah, I think, you know, there'd be more teams willing to maybe trade two twos for Beckham than would trade – I'm sorry, two ones for Beckham than would trade a one for Antonio Brown right now. He is an NFL insider for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. He appears every Sunday on the NFL Today on CBS. He is the host of Be More Opinionated Podcast, the first guest ever on our simulcast, and the dog dad of Copper. Hey, Jesse, Copper was great today. Yeah, he, 
he was, well, I just did a hit for CBS HQ, and he was barking during that. But I guess he knows where his bread's buttered. He's a Roman. jungle dog. He's a jungle there dog. There you go. It takes more than hard work to make it to the pros. It takes smarts. The kind of smarts that can read a defense and pick it apart. Well, hiring is no different. You need smarts to find the right people. But you don't need to spend years honing your game. You simply need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is powerful matching technology. Scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply for your job. Try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, so a really weird thing happened last night at Staples. Really weird thing. No, the Lakers did not win. That would be about the weirdest thing ever. No, they got hammered again by the Nuggets this time. And no, it's not about the Lakers being glossed the South Bay Lakers because of that G League look that they had last night? Not that either. None of that. But we did finally get an answer to one of sports' most pressing questions ever. If LeBron runs down Mike in Los Angeles at the end of the most depressing Lakers season ever, in the middle of another blowout loss, does it even make a sound? Hell, did it even happen? There is a word for what went down last night in Staples. Awkward. Awkward. Because that's exactly what that was. I mean, sure, we knew the moment was coming. We knew it was coming. It had to happen somewhere. It had to happen someplace. It just so happened to happen at Staples. Rondo brings it into the front court. Trying to get it to LeBron. Does LeBron down the middle to the rim. Lays it up. In and a foul. And there it is. LeBron James with that basket. And and one has moved past Michael Jordan into fourth place on the NBA's all-time scoring list. 32,294. And he's got a free throw coming. The fans are on their feet. The Lakers are embracing LeBron at the free throw line. Standing ovation. My man John Ireland doing a pretty good job of hyping that up. Because I saw that whole thing. No, I was not in the building last night, but I watched it. Weird. Weird. Weird and really awkward. I mean, great. You ran down your idol. You ran down a guy who many consider the GOAT. Unfortunately, you did it in the middle of another beatdown during the Lakers' most disappointing season ever, and you did it by running with guys and fans who have no equity in it whatsoever. The only thing these teammates and fans know as it relates to LeBron is the disaster that is this season. I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm saying that's their only point of reference. They don't know any of this other stuff. They weren't there for anything else. I mean, yes, it was a significant moment. Yes, he is an amazing player. The problem is it happened at the wrong time in the wrong place. But then again, you can't really pick where your milestones occur. Because if you could, then LeBron would have done that in Cleveland. Then it would have meant something. Then there would have been some excitement. Then it would have resonated. He would have done it in Cleveland, or he could have done it in Miami. Pretty much any place other than L.A. L.A. was the worst place that that could happen because it's been their worst season. It's like salt in the wound. Because what should have been one of the more significant moments of his career did not feel like anything at all. At least not to us. Maybe to him. I'm sure it was to him. But to everybody else who was here or there, who saw it, who've got no equity in this thing, it didn't feel like anything at all. As mentioned, it felt like salt in the wound. Great. I mean, let me speak for Laker fan. Laker fans thinking, great. Congratulations. Another milestone for you, but what about us? What the hell do we get out of this? What's it mean to us? We know what you did for the Heat. We know what you did for the Cavaliers. Hell, we know what you did for the NBA. But what have you done for us? We're LA Laker fans. You're rocking our gear now. What the hell are you going to do for us? I mean, shoot, Rajon Rondo pulling up a chair closer to the Nuggets bench than the Lakers bench may have been a cooler moment than LeBron running down Mike. Oh, and by the way, if you're coming in, if you're coming here to bury Rondo, don't do it. 
The Lakers have much more pressing concerns than where Rondo is sitting at the end of another blowout. I'm like, if you want to go ahead and rearrange the deck chairs of the Titanic, suit yourself. Go right ahead. Just don't hit, don't do it here. Rondo sitting closer to the Nuggets than the Lakers is like the most Rondo thing ever. And you know what else is? The fact that according to many reports, Rondo has actually been a good leader and a mentor to younger guys on that team. But then there's no virility in that, right? That won't go viral. Saying this guy's been good with younger players is not going to go viral. But finding a pick of him sitting off to the side will. I'm just saying, who the hell cares where this guy's sitting? We're not talking about that. We're talking about LeBron. We're talking about LeBron taking down one of the legends of the game and it not registering even a blip. And I'll tell you something else. As weird and as awkward as that was, it's going to be even more weird and more awkward next year if they do not get Anthony Davis in the summertime and they do not convince anybody to sign and take some of their money, it's going to be weird, and it's going to be awkward, and it's going to be depressing if LeBron runs down Kobe next season and does that in Los Angeles. In fact, when that happens, because that'll happen next year, he better hope that it does not happen in Staples because nobody's going to celebrate that moment if they're garbage now and garbage then. Like, ambivalence is one thing, rage is another, and Laker fan is going to be pissed if LeBron takes down their guy in their house in the midst of another lottery-ridden season. Don't get this jacked up. Don't get this twisted. I'm not here to take a run at LeBron. Great player, great milestone, great achievement. I'm just saying it was really weird and really awkward. An awkward moment. Weird is normally good. Not in this case. Weird is just weird. Weird is just awkward. Awkward. You know, you know just awkward. Uh, Gerard Gallant is my guest. Gerard, so good to have you back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. All right, so let me start here. You're coming off a 2-1 to win over Calgary last night. That was your fifth straight win. We're not quite to the postseason yet, but did that game almost have the feel of a playoff game in terms of caliber of opponent and the intensity of the game? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, we haven't played Calgary in quite a while. And, you know, they're having a terrific season. They're in first place in our division. And, you know, we struggled a little bit lately, and then we got a little bit of runs at the trade deadline. So last night was a big game for our group, and uh, I thought both teams played real good. It was a good hockey game, and, you know, it was a one-goal difference. So it was a great game to watch. Well, when you get a one-goal difference, the guy you want, obviously, between the pipes is Marc-Andre Fleury, 33 saves in that game, his 33rd win of the season, and that ties him with Jacques Plant for eighth all-time on the career win list. You know, every time you and I talk, we end up talking about Fleury, but I've got to ask once again, as a head coach, how valuable is it to have that particular guy in between the pipes? Well, he's our MVP, and he's been like that since day one. He's been outstanding for us, and, uh, you know, it was just a great pickup for us to get, and he's a character guy, he's a leader, and he, like I said, he, he very seldom has a bad game, so he, he's a key, key guy for our team for sure. So in terms of managing him the rest of the way, how do you go about balancing his workload so you make sure he's in his rhythm, but he's also rested when the postseason starts? Yeah, no, that's real key. And a lot of people talk about he's played a lot of games, he's played too many games, but you know what? The guy feels good. He's had a lot of days off. He doesn't practice many days in between games, so he likes to play the games he tells us he feels real fresh and feels real good. So, you know, we're going to give Subban some game because Subi's played really well for us lately also, and we'll see where it goes down the stretch here. But uh, I expect Mark andre Philly, you know, we, we, can, we can secure a playoff spot. He'll get some less for sure. Gerard Gallant joining us, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. A couple of weeks back, he said, quote, we've got to find the misfits again. Gerard, for those who don't know, who are the misfits and what made you say that at that time? Well, the misfits are the guys that uh, last year everybody, nobody knew who they were, and they all turned out to have outstanding seasons. And, uh, you know, I think it was William Carlson that, that made that quote after a game one night, and they they played to identical. You know, they were really good. And a bunch of the guys that just, like I said, they came from different teams, and they felt like they were the misfits, and uh, everything really went well last year. So I think they talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and let, let's find our identity again. And you know, you know, and then obviously recently the last five games you've played real good hockey. 
ever since the acquisition of Mark Stone, obviously in the trade deadline. But uh, I think our team's real confident right now. Gerard Gallant joining us. I'm glad you brought that up. In terms of Mark Stone, so you make that move and you get him from Ottawa. Given what you had to give up to get him, what kind of a message does that send the rest of the room about your intentions for this year? Well, I think it's, it definitely showed our ownership. Our ownership group showed that they wanted to win. Our general manager and Kelly McCrimmon and then management staff showed that they went out there and they believe in their hockey team and they wanted to, you know, give us a chance to win. And uh, every player in our locker room feels a lot better about our group. So we give up a lot. I mean, we traded a couple of young prospects, uh, real good hockey players, you know, and they're talented hockey players. But you know what? We're trying to win now, and that's what it's all about. So I think it was a great deal for us. And, and like you said, you always got to give up something good and a great deal. And, we're happy with it. Right, so what about it? Like, I know you had an impression of Stone from afar. What's it been like coaching him and working with him so far? He's been great. He's, uh, he's no maintenance guy. He comes to the rink every day, works hard, gets his job done. And uh, I've watched him as a player. He just makes everybody around him better. He's got an unbelievable stick. Uh, you know, he's around the net. He strips guys from pucks. He works real hard. So he's a real good hockey player. And everybody's it's exactly what I expected from him when you watch him from afar. Gerard Gallant joining us. Now, recently, the Athletic conducted a poll of 198 players in the league, and one of the questions was which coach they would most like to play for, and you tied for first with John Cooper. Look, I know you're not going to make this about you, so let me ask you a different way. Who are the coaches that you like playing for, and how much of them is in the way you coach right now? You know, Jacques Demers was a guy that I had a lot of success with. Uh, Jacques was, uh, you know, and I obviously take some of the things from Jacques. Jacques was a player's coach. Jacques was... uh, you know, he, he used his staff real well. He, you know, Jacques wasn't a big X and O's guys, but his assistant coaches were. So I use my assistant coaches as much as anybody in the league probably, and, and you do the things for that. I mean, it's not about one guy. It's about a team and a group. And, you know, Brian Murray's another guy that I enjoyed as a coach. He was he was hard and demanding, and but he gives you a free time also. So there were a couple of guys that I really enjoyed. Gerard Gallant joining us. You know, also defenseman Nate Schmidt told The Athletic a story about a game where he made a mistake with a bad pass, which led to an odd man rush going the other way. He came to the bench. He knew that he was going to hear about it from you. Quote, he comes over and just lights me up. End quote. But then he goes back out on the ice. He sets up a goal, and you're yelling at him, I love the way you're playing tonight. You're playing amazing. And he said he loved how you made your point and that you moved on and were quickly praising him after he did something right shortly thereafter. So how do you balance that need to be critical at the same time, making sure your guys know that you care and you pick them up? Well, I think, I think the guys know me. They know I care about the game and all that. But after, you know, if guys continue to make mistakes and mistakes, and then I'm going to light them up like I did with Nate. And I love Nate. He's one of our best players. And, you know, but like you said, you got you to make sure they're ready to play the game and get, get, get emotionally involved in the game. And like I said, I'll give them, I'll, I'll give them a little bit of a hell once in a while, but most of the time I'm praising them and telling them, you know, do the right things. And if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to go back at the ice. I want guys ready to play and ready to compete. And mistakes are part of the game. You're going to make them. You just rebound from them. Don't make two, don't make three, or don't make four. Keep playing your game and keep playing well. See, I think that's a real key point before you go. I mean, because some other guys might not handle it that way. Some other guys might see a guy make a mistake and then put him on the bench, let him think about it, and send a message. But that's not your approach. Why is it so important to acknowledge it but get him right back on the ice? Well, I played the game, and I think, you know what, I, I made mistakes, and every player has made mistakes in the game. And you, you watch the great players, they're all making mistakes. So I think the more confident your player is going back on the ice, the better they're going to be. And like I said, guys can – Guys can't go out there worrying about making mistakes. If they do, they're going to make mistakes. Vegas is in third in the Pacific Division, and again, they're at Vancouver on Saturday. He was the 2018 Jack Adams Award winner and the head coach of the Golden Knights, Gerard Gallant. Gerard, so good to have you back. I appreciate the visit. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So time now for the all-important Mr. Big Chest update. Mr. Big Chest. It's a good one. Now, again, JLC also said he does not necessarily see it this way, but there was a report that we might be 24 hours away from the most tedious story in football finally coming to an end. Because according to Adam Schefter, not JLC, but Schefter, the Steelers, and Antonio Brown might be wrapping up their situation finally. Schefter tweeted, teams that have spoken to the Steelers about a potential uh, Antonio Brown trade have been told that a deal is expected to be in place by Friday per league sources. Now, JLC said his sources and his reporting does not necessarily indicate that. And, of course, Shefty did also speculate that Condoleezza Rice was going to coach the Browns. 
and that Bob Kraft was not even the biggest name involved in that massage parlor bust in Jupiter. So Shefty's not always right. Let's just hope he nails this one. If so, we might finally be able to put a nail in the coffin of a story that will never go away. Finally, reportedly, allegedly, possibly. I'll believe it when I see it, Lee. I mean, I could take this chance to run down the list of teams that are most likely to end up with Mr. Big Chest. But at this point, who really cares? I mean, again, great player. Even in his worst year, he's still better than most guys in their best year. But the sooner this thing is over, the better. I mean, I really don't want to get into whether or not he's going to the Raiders or the Packers or the Niners or the Jets or the Titans. The sooner it's over, wherever he ends up, the better off it's going to be. Not only for all of our sanity, but for Brown's reputation. Because it's taken an absolute thrashing over the past few months. And most of it has been AB's own doing. I mean, yeah, there have been reports about how hard he works. Even some reports that he's actually a great teammate. But then there's been everything else. You know, like his Twitter game. His Instagram game. Showing up on reality singing competitions that involve masks and D-less celebrities. FaceTiming while on a treadmill. Wanting to be called Mr. Big Chest. Like all those things, they're all on A-B. All of them. Charlie Casserly v. Kyler Murray v. Eric Burkhardt cannot believe the damage inflicted by Antonio Brown v. Antonio Brown. And what it's done is it's managed to turn in one of the most electric players and personalities, turn that guy into one of the most tired personalities. Like I never thought that I would say there's such a thing as too much Antonio Brown, but over the past few months, there has been too much Antonio Brown, way too much Antonio Brown. And the latest bit of news is another not-so-good look for Mr. Big Chest. If you were wondering whether or not things could be patched up between Mr. Big Chest and the Steelers, and in particular, Mr. Big Chest and Mr. Ben Roethlisberger, apparently not. Jason Cole had a thought. Cole tweeted, Roethlisberger has tried to call several times. Mr. Big Chest won't pick up the phone. Whether he should or not is irrelevant. Fact is, he's not picking up. End of tweet. That's not good. It's not good for the Steelers patching this thing up, but it's also not good for Mr. Big Chest's rep. Not good. For Mr. Big Chest and his rep. He also called out Roethlisberger over the course of this whole drama. And now, if that report is true, Ben's calling him back. And Mr. Big Check is not answering. Chest. A couple of weeks back, Brown was asked about Roethlisberger on Twitter, and he responded, quote, No conflict, just a matter of respect. Mutual respect. He has an owner mentality, like he can call out anybody, including coaches. Players know, but they can't say anything about it. Otherwise, they meal ticket gone. It's a dirty game within a game. Hashtag truth. Listen, that is swinging heavy lumber. If you're going to crack a teammate with the, quote, owner mentality line, that's a big shot from Mr. Big Chest. If you're going to call out a teammate like that, and then he's going to call you back to talk about it, you probably should pick up the phone. You probably should say to his face what you just told the entire world. And especially if that dude is calling you to try to salvage a relationship and keep the team together. Again, I'm not saying that Ben isn't a pain in the ass to play with or deal with at times. I'm not saying that Ben is without blame. Far from it. But if Brown is not returning the owner's calls and Brown is not returning the Hall of Fame quarterback's calls, then that's not on them. That's on him. He's not picking up the phone. And then in an attempt to burn every bridge in Pittsburgh, Mr. Big Chest has set himself on fire again. Like you're letting Ben off the hook. Which again brings up the question, exactly why is it so bad in Pittsburgh? What is the problem here? If you want to go to a place where you've got a chance to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback, the guy's not perfect and probably is a pain. And yeah, he will call you out publicly. 
run you under the bus. I get all that. But if you've got a chance to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback where you can put up Hall of Fame numbers and compete for a Super Bowl every single year and you've got the flexibility in the team structure to be yourself and to make good money, where else are you going to find that? I'm going to say nowhere. So why is Mr. Big Chest so unhappy there? Huge numbers. They win. He gets paid, and he pretty much gets a free run of the place. He can come and go as he pleases. So why does he hate it so much? I mean, I can't imagine there's a situation that's better for him than the one he had, had in Pittsburgh. But his life, his career, I don't care. I only care that he lands someplace quickly, so I don't need to talk about it anymore. I'm sure A.B. wants this thing to end. Just not nearly as bad as I want it to end. So hopefully Shefty nailed that one. Hopefully we'll know in 24 hours. I hope. Tell him I ain't doing no unguarantees. No unguarantees. Yeah, I hope we know soon. But then, as JLC said, there is a bonus attached to this, but the team may not care about the bonus. That they're taking such a hit on the cap anyway. What's another two and a half mil? Mr. Big Chest has been uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically quiet for the past 24 hours or so. Mikey Garcia joins us. Mikey, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Good to have you back, Mikey. Thank you. So we're about a week out, and you're going to step into the ring in Arlington where the Cowboys play to face Errol Spence Jr. It's an absolutely enormous fight. How is camp gone, and how eager are you to get this fight going? Look, I'm very excited. You know, um, it's a big fight. It's a fight that I, I was pushing for and I was uh, able to secure. And, uh, you know, it, it's a big fight, not only for me and, and, and my career, but, uh, you know, for boxing in general. You know, boxing fans can really appreciate, you know, a fight like this. You know, two undefeated, pound-for-pound fighters, you know, world champions fighting each other in their primes. You know, it doesn't come very often. So, you know, I'm very excited for the fight. And uh, as far as camp, you know, everything went well. We're uh, finishing up, you know, the last few days here before we go to Dallas next week. Um, I had a great training camp. You know, I moved up, you know, to, to uh, San Carlos, Northern California with Snack and Victor Conte and his team for a few weeks back in December, January. Then I moved to Riverside to finish my boxing with my brother and got the right sparring, the, the right techniques, the right game plans. And, you know, there's nothing else that I could have done, you know, to be in the best shape you know, for, for this fight. So... I'm, I'm very happy. Mikey Garcia joining us. Mikey, I think you nailed that. I think what you said is really important. I mean, you're a four-division champ. You're undefeated. You're widely regarded as one of the best fighters around. If you wanted to, you could schedule guys that you know you can keep beating and stacking cash and protect that record, but you're taking a big step up. You're taking a big risk. Why was that so important to you? Look, I'm after, I'm after establishing myself you know, as one of the best fighters you know, uh, this generation and in order to do that, I got to take on the biggest challenge, the biggest risk. Um, you're right. I could have taken other fights, you know, against uh, contenders or, or former champions, but that's not what motivates me. That's not what excites me. That's just collecting a paycheck for me, and that's not what I want. You know, I want to make history. I want to be, you know, remembered, and I want I want people to really appreciate what I'm doing. You know, I've already been champion. Uh, I've already done it in several divisions. So I don't need to protect anything. I'm going after the biggest challenge. I want to build my legacy. I want to establish, you know, that legacy. And, and that's what I'm about. That's what motivates me. That's what really inspires me the most. And that's why I decided to go after Errol Spence you know, and go after a fifth division uh, world title against an uh, undefeated world champion. You know, I'm doing things that no one else is doing. That's, that's really why, why I'm doing it. Mikey Garcia joining us. That's going to be a big fight. So you are a four-division champ. That's amazing in and of itself. What would it mean to you to become a five-division champ? Well, I mean, to, to accomplish that feat would be terrific. You know, I, I'm telling everybody, I've never wanted to win a fight as much as I want to win this one, and for several reasons. You know, it's a big challenge. A lot of people don't give me a, a lot of chance of winning. So that motivates me, that that makes me work hard for it. Um, winning a fifth division world title and being included, you know, in a very short list of, of men to have ever accomplished that feat, you know, and, and to be included in, in that short list with Leonard, you know, with, with De La Hoya, with Hearns, you know, Pacquiao who did, you know, eight divisions, 
um, Mayweather, you know, at five, you know, that that's that's very special, and that's something that I want to be part of, and that's what the fifth division, you know, really means, you know, a lot to me. And, you know, like I said, just adding to my legacy. I want to be remembered. Mikey Garcia joining us. Mikey, in the midst of all this, you and your team have been dealing with the deaths of two people close to you and a shooting that left one fighter paralyzed. What's it been like for you to deal with this and help everybody around you deal with this? It's been uh, some tragic uh, events in the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, we're very close with, with, with with our team and, when we have a loss, you know, in a family member and in a family, you know, around us, it's very sad and it does bother us. Of course, you know, it's tragic, like I said, but, you know, I got to work on my fight. I cannot help unless I perform. You know, I use my platform to try to help as much as I can, you know, to people around me, my community also, and just people in need. But if, if I'm not winning my fights, then my, my voice doesn't have the same weight. My my actions don't don't have the don't carry the same weight. So we're always always you know very very supportive of, of our, our you know close friends and you know we're putting together you know fundraisers. We put together um, you know accounts for 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 costs you know to help with with with, with bills with with any type of, of cause that that you know a tragedy tragedy brings. So. I mean, we we stay close together, you know. We want to be family, you know. Just because we're we're in the same team, we're basically family, and and that's what it's about. And that's what me and my brother, my dad, my bro, you know, my whole family has taught us, and that's that's the way we we like to be. So, you know, we we always you know unite each other when when moments like this uh, happen. Mikey Garcia is a four division world champion, so you're undefeated. You're a champ. You're taking on another undefeated champ. We've talked about the matchup and how important it is. Mikey, if you win this fight, in your mind, does that pretty much end the discussion of who the best is pound for pound? Well, I think it would definitely leave a, a big mark. And um, I mean, pound for pound would be, you know, somebody who who can do it in, in many divisions and making me a fifth division champion. I mean, I'm proving myself. That I'm making, I'm doing it in in many divisions, and I'm not just winning titles against you know opponents, you know, for a vacant title. I'm actually taking the titles away from undefeated champions. You know, um, you know, last year with Sergey Lipinets at 140 pounds, uh, he was undefeated, took his title. Then uh, in July, fought Robert Easter at 135 pounds, took his title. He was undefeated. Now Errol Spence, 147, undefeated world champion in his prime. You know, that'd be three undefeated champions in three different weight classes, back to back to back. No one else is doing that. So uh, if, if if that doesn't make me pound for pound, then I don't know what does. You know, I, I'm actually doing what a pound for pound fighter, you know, is meant to, to be. And and I think that that would de- definitely be a big, big uh, 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 mark to hit, you know, if I can win this title. And I truly believe I am. You know, next week I will become champion in, in the fifth division. Mikey Garcia, my guest. Really quickly, Mikey, you move up to 147. You know how this goes, right? When you move up, sometimes you lose speed, you lose explosiveness. Have you lost anything at all, and how do you feel with that weight? No, I actually feel very, very comfortable. You know, when we moved to uh, San Carlos with Snack and Victor Conte, we wanted to build a little bit of muscle mass, but we didn't want to lose any speed. We didn't want to lose any explosiveness. So that's where uh, Victor and his team put together a program for me so that I can gain a little bit of muscle mass because I am moving up to welterweight, we want to be a little bit bigger, but not slow. And Victor Conte designed a, a program that I could, you know, focus on, on, on my speed and, and my explosiveness, my reaction time, and uh, keep all that and actually make me better and faster, um, but still add a little bit of, of, of mass. And then we came back to, to Riverside to work on my boxing, you know, with my brother, and, you know, we focused on the sparring and I was able to put everything together and I, I'm, I'm very, very, you know, good. I'm, I'm sharp. I'm quick. You know, I'm, I'm explosive. I'm just better than, than ever. I really do believe that this has been the, the best camp I've ever had. JD in Winnipeg. Good to have you, JD. How are you? Good, Romy. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, unlike, unlike a lot of clones out there, I don't actually get a chance to listen live very often because I have a 9-to-5 that doesn't involve peddling fake golden tickets on the street. But I do catch up every night when I get home. And when I heard Matt from L.A. got a golden ticket the other day, I had to beg my boss for a day off just so I could call in. 
Now, I know you have the power to hand out said golden tickets, and I would never challenge that Van Smack, but I got to say, I can't stand this guy's lame shtick. Calling people a bitch and saying how he'll murder guys who don't keep his name out of their mouth isn't good sports radio talk. It's just tired and uninspired. And that dumb alliteration that tumbles out of his gap every call is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Dude, I know your junior geography kit and Fisher-Price learned to read play sets, say ages six and up on the box, but you're definitely pushing the boundaries on that. Yeah, CBS and THC both have the same letter in it. <laughs> Listen, Matt, I'll show you how easy that is. This call brought to you by the letter F, as in go take a flying leap in front of a fast-moving F-150, you freaking fool. And before you call in saying how you'll kill me in some cross-border clone-on-clone crime, just know you should actually be worried about the real killers in America, coronary disease, and morbid obesity. Outro! J.D. in Winnipeg. My man, Damon. Amanda Laura would be proud of you. All right, so J.D. in Winnipeg. Always good to get some new blood in here. Go ahead and rack him. Matt in L.A. has been waiting patiently ever since. Hey, Matt, what's up? Rome Skillet, thanks for the vine. From Dana Point to Denmark. From Madison, Wisco to Madagascar. On the home of Taz and the Moose, plus the most notorious talk show in America, the CBS Sports Net is blessing you like a papal arm wave. And since it's smack-off season, I want to say what up to noted pedophile State University grad Mark on hiatus, <clears throat> Hollywood and Western, at least most recent smack-off winner. Hey, put down that notepad because nobody's taking that emasculated memoir you've been penning for the last five years. Get up in here and represent for yours, Marky Mark. But that's not why I called, Jim. I'm calling to advise one Jonathan Chuckmeister Gruden. Do not draft Kyler Murray. I'm seeing shades of Drew Henson in this guy. A lot of overhype and a lot of underachievement in his future. Concentrate on rebuilding this franchise. Lastly, as far as DJ and Winnipeg, step away from the wheels of steel, my man. Yo, check it. Your style, it's played out, you Canadian kook. And I am on payroll always as I make this call, as I sit on hold for hours with my boss's blessing. So chew on that with your moose meat burger and sweet potato fries, you chump. I don't need to bitch smack you. I'll just simply remove the smack from you and call you a jealous bitch. That's all I got, Jim. War James Kelly's anorexic arms and blow pop dome forehead. War Belly Clarkson calling grocery stores her local storage units. Outro. <laughs> War James Kelly's anorexic arms and blow pop dome, Rex in Albuquerque. Hello, Rex. Romy, did I hear Drew in West LA smacking on department store suits? I went in there to buy a suit last week. Romy, this 70 year old salesman rolled up on me, smelling like stale parliament lights, and was trying to give me fashion advice. I'll pass on the double-pleated pants with cuffs. And no, I'm not putting on those fungal-infested loafers in front of the mirror, not unless they've been dipped in that blue fluid at Supercuts. I get that you want to take my inseam measurement, but I told you, I'm 30 inches long. And if this suit is slim-fit, why does it fit me like a hefty bag? And you know what? Just stuff this poly-blend rag made in Zanzibar in a paper bag, and let me get out of here as fast as possible because Wetzel's Pretzels is having two-for-one. And, oh, by the way, war Alex Trebek beating stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm out. Good night now!